Hello there, and welcome to the Joyfully Black Podcast, where we have candid conversations with Black women on nourishing their mental well-being while balancing career, family life, and community care. I'm your host, Joy Dixon, a public health professional turned woman in tech and lover of seeing people thrive in their zone of genius. Today's guest is Desiree Cocroft. As a self-mastery architect, coach, and CEO of Destination Life, she helps women and organizations incite possibilities and new strategies to building their leadership, developing other amazing leaders, and creating a thriving, authentic culture that gets results. Desiree is known for helping leaders be human again so they can let go of the overwhelm and the wholesome culture to focus on what matters most professionally and personally, which allows them to increase their impact, performance, income, and joy. It's no surprise given her contagious energy and positivity. In her free time, Desiree volunteers as the co-founder and board chair of a six-figure nonprofit called Signature Dance Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin where she fundraises and mentors other young women and even puts on her own dancing shoes on occasion. This renaissance soul lives in Maryland and enjoys brunch on a regular occasion while making time to visit with family and friends. We are so happy to have her with us today. So welcome to Joyfully Black, Desiree. So happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. So um, Desiree, I always like to level set um, for our audience. And so I'd love for you to share what inspired you to pursue um, coaching high achieving women towards self-mastery. Oh, I love that. So my very first job was being a facilitator, a team mentor for middle and uh, elementary school students. And Mm -hmm. it was the topics of self-esteem and self-image. And I was only 17 years old. And so I was like still growing as a young lady and having the opportunity to teach other people about how they can discover the best parts of themselves and have better relationships with people and make better decisions and have a high self-esteem. And so just that experience alone made me know that I really enjoyed helping people see the best parts of themselves and see Mm -hmm. the possibilities that they can have for the relationships in their life for the careers or the future that they have. And so I knew then that I really loved developing people and helping people. And so just like anybody else in their career, I started off working with young people and then it just kind of changed over time to young adults and college students. And I've always had an affinity uh, to young ladies and young women um, and women in general, because I'm a woman and I've had so many, (laughs) right, I'm a woman um, and I've had so many uh, women be role models to me and pour into me. So it's almost, I, I just gravitate uh, to women and being able to pour into them. Although I have had the privilege of working with all types of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I mentioned this before, you do have such a light about your about yourself <laughs> and, you know, valuing pouring into other people. And so I'd love to hear more Um, Because you're really helping people go towards what their purpose is and really walking um, and what they're good at and their gifts. So I would love for you to discuss, you know, the relationship between um, self-care and mental health for high achieving women, since that's primarily you work with women, young women. Yes. How prioritizing self-care can positively impact their well-being. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny you say this on a day like today. I I actually was talking to 
someone that uh, is a woman. She just recently became um, over a nonprofit organization. And she had been in another career track at, uh, at one point, but now she's over this large organization that is really doing a lot of great work in the community, in her state, um, and has a lot of impact. And so we were on the phone today and she was just talking about how she's uh, now over this, you know, large entity when before she was, you know, working, you know, a regular job and just the pressure and the weight of having to carry an organization and carry an organization with such a strong mission. And we were just really having this come to Jesus moment. It's <laughs> like, you know what? Like you can have all of this passion and all of this desire and all of this drive. However, you still have to make sure that while you have all this passion and drive, you need to have that same passion and drive for your health and that same passion and drive for your personal life. Because at the end of your days, this is not going to be the only thing that you're going to want to have survived life, right? You're going to want your body to have survived life, relationships to have to survive life, your mind. Um, mm -hmm. And so just putting in perspective, like what is important, like, although it feels important and yes, you have a board that's on you about getting different things done and you have constituents and other people in the community that want you to get things um, done. You also have to be mindful that your life is bigger than this one moment that you're focusing in on an organization and um, a purpose or mission that is serving a community. Like you have to serve yourself too. Absolutely. I mean, cause how many times have we seen um, women, especially because we're, <laughs> one of my favorite, I'm, I don't know how this is going to sound, but one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite books, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zornia Hurston. Oh, I love that one. So when I was in high school, that was when I first read this book. And the line that always stuck with me was that women are the mule of the world. Mm -hmm. And that line just struck me and has always stuck with me because it made it, it made me think about women. And you're, you know, talking about this, this client that you worked with who now has the weight of the and the responsibility, which I'm sure, you know, she could she can likely handle. She was, you know, mm -hmm. able to be selected for this role. Mm -hmm. Um and just has these responsibilities, not only to this organization, she probably mm -hmm. has family or uh, responsibilities, whether it's, you know, parents, or maybe she mm -hmm. has um, children or, you yeah. know, a partner um, mm -hmm. in her life. So, and also be volunteering, as we know, women, many times we're always caring for other people, right? Right. So, yeah, it's really great to hear that, that you were talking to her and making mm -hmm. sure that she's leaving room for that, because it's so easy to put ourselves to the back burner yeah. others right yeah and, and that was actually her question she said how do you separate yourself <laughs> from feeling the pressure and burden of moving something forward that you're really passionate about and not taking it personally or not letting your whole world come crashing down uh, mm -hmm. when you no longer really identify yourself with it even if it's just for a moment because you got to pull yourself apart from it you are not your job, you are not yes. your career, you are not even the titles that we give ourselves in relationships. You are you, right? And so that part of you has to be taken care of to even wear the titles of all the other things. Those things have to come secondary. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So how does one go uh go into that um strategy or what strategy would you have for someone who highly identifies themselves with their career, something that they've help build whether in a volunteer capacity yeah. or in a paid capacity so that 
so that they know that they're they're worth more than a title, worth more than a role. Yeah, you know, so I don't know if this is the end-all, be-all uh, try to stra- strategy or what have you, but uh, one that I always go back to when I'm making decisions is my older, wiser self. And so some people may have done this activity where you kind of ask your older, wiser self, what would they do? You know, what would my older, wiser self tell me? What would she say? What is she hoping I would make a decision about today so that I could be what she is already, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is usually what kind of brings me back to ground zero, back to neutral, uh, because we can make, things in our present day, the most important thing, because we're being in the present, but sometimes we can make that most important thing uh, overshadow all the other things. And so I say all that to say, uh, I told you recently that I was on a a staycation (laughs) and I had the opportunity to travel for work and be in a lot of different places for work. And sometimes there is a part of us, I think, especially women, this need to feel needed. Like we're nurturers, we're we like to help. We 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 always want to feel needed. And so I was in this crossroads of deciding, do I want to take two weeks off or do I want to work? And so I had, you know, consulted my older wiser self. I was like, okay, Desiree, uh, future Desiree, how would future Desiree feel if I spent time with my family in these two weeks or if mm-hmm. I worked? And it was like a no-brainer. Right. It's like, I'm about to spend time with my family. (laughs) Work will always be here. Causes will always be here. There's always going to be good things to do. But when we get down to like, well, what are some of those core priorities? We get to make room for those things. Because at the end of our life, those are the things that we're going to wish we spent more time at. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, as... As women advance in their careers, and because a lot of a lot of my listeners are, I was a pretty ambitious, pretty ambitious. Woman. <laughs> yeah. And and something that I often hear that comes up is you know imposter syndrome, and it's a phrase mm-hmm. that's really gained traction in recent years. Yeah. What would you say are some surprising pitfalls and challenges you notice among women leaders? Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Surprising pitfalls is that knowing their track record, the the nervousness or anxiety that they still get in rooms with people that are really on the same playing field as them, but behind closed doors, they still feel less than, or they still feel like their voice isn't as powerful or matters uh, as much as those that they are peers with. And a lot of times if they are peers with them, it it typically is a a, a male counterpart or a white male at that matter. And Mm -hmm. so being able to still be surprised, even in this day and age, is still surprising and not even even take away this day and age because of what I know about her. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, because of what I know about her, like, wow, I think that this person is amazing. This person has done so many great things. They are a boss, like just seeing them in all these different areas of their life and just knowing behind closed doors, there is still this, you know, somewhat of this insecurity or fear that whatever they say and do is not good enough or never going to be good enough or Mm -hmm. that they're going to be seen a certain way. Um, And so something I've been working with, uh, with some of my clients and then, you know, stuff that I just do on my own as well is that I think that there is sometimes this pressure as women to show up like men. 
um, in, in this masculine energy. Um, and, you know, both men and women, we all have masculine and feminine energy that we manage differently. And so it's something to be said about how we use that type A or that masculine energy, right, to get things done. And then, you know, at the same time, we want to be able to be our feminine selves. And so right. I encourage my clients and it's even something I'm learning to continue to do is like, how do I continue to have power in my feminine energy? You know, yeah. I, mean, I can stand in my femininity and have power and not try to emulate what men do because mm-hmm. I'm in a room with men. I don't have to emulate what they do and still be powerful and of authority. What I get to do is believe that I am powerful, believe that Mm -hmm. I do have authority. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those things around imposter syndrome or the things that surprise me most, it's not that they don't even have access to the answer because the answer is them. The answer is that it's already in them. It's really turning on that belief um, and keeping it on when they leave the room, because some of them, they do, they perform, you know what I'm saying? They get in the room and they perform and they kill it and they leave the room feeling like they're faking. It's like, no, what you did was still you. <laughs> like, lean into that. That's you right there. Like, you did that. <laughs> that was you. Nobody I, came in and disguised as you. <laughs> I love Nobody did that. Like, you showed up. <laughs> <laughs> you showed up and said that to such and such. Don't leave and start questioning yourself. No, you just went and did that. And you got to believe that about yourself regardless of the response of other people. Like, no matter what other people's response is, who I am is still who I am. You know what I mean? So somebody can feel a certain way or even if their um, expectation of whatever they believe perfection is, is off. It doesn't change that who I am is who I am. I don't care what you think about me. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so that comes with a mindset shift, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so how do you how do you address that mindset and belief system that gets in their way so that they can finally believe that yes that is that's that is who I am because we are multifaceted right yeah and, and perhaps you know it may feel like a performance but that's in you or, or wouldn't be there to even come out exactly exactly I love that joy uh I, one it's a practice right we have to practice thoughts that serve us mm. by taking action that is aligned with those thoughts. So the thoughts that serve us is that, hey, I am powerful. Well, if I'm powerful, what would I do every day? How would I show up every day? So I get to practice those behaviors because if I start practicing those behaviors, it's just telling my brain that, yeah, I am powerful. So every time I go in the room and I speak up first or every time I walk in the room standing up straight or every time I engage in that conversation or every time that I allow someone to talk without being so quick to say something because I don't have to be the first person to say something to actually have intelligence in this conversation. I am telling my brain that I am the thing that I say I am. Uh, So when we do actions that are against who we say we are, that's what really messes us up. Now, here's the tricky part is that we want to be something different. When we start practicing doing that something different, our mind is like, whoa, you ain't been doing that. Mm. (laughs) And that's where the confusion comes from. When we are looking to shift into a different space in our life and our mind is confused at why are we practicing a new thing? Because this is not what I'm used to. And so that's why we question ourselves. But just like any other thing, what what comes with practice is momentum and it becomes belief. Like it becomes our truth. 
when we continue to practice it. It's like playing double dutch, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you get more confident when you start jumping in that rope. Okay. You <laughs> like you might mess up every now and then, but the more you jump in and actually be on time, you convincing yourself of otherwise. You're like, oh, I don't know how to jump. Like you don't mm-hmm. say you don't know how to jump when you've been practicing and now you in the rope and now you've got the rhythm and you in there. You say you don't know how to jump every time you jump in one time or two times and then you don't make it. And you're like, oh, I don't know how to jump. Of course you don't. You just started. You haven't even practiced. You haven't even given yourself the opportunity to get the rhythm going. Right. Right. So we be taking ourselves out the game, but we haven't continued to create that momentum. And we're not connecting to being the thing. Like I am a jumper. Like this is what I do. I double dash. This is what I do. Right. So I got to be that. I'm just level one right now. <laughs> right, right. No, it's 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 so true. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like when we're starting new practices, um, our mind does tell us like this is unfamiliar, this is difficult, this is hard. But it's like, of course it is if you haven't yeah. done it. Yeah. But and what and what you're saying, it's a matter of be the thing that you want to show up as if mm-hmm. it's something you're not already doing. Yes. Well, it seems like it's two it's twofold here for people who are wanting to be more of something of these, let's say, positive attributes. Mm-hmm. If they show up like that, they practice it. And then for people who may have imposter syndrome or the self-doubt, mm-hmm. they just need to really just accept that they are as good as they, they are. Yeah, they need to accept it and believe it as true. Mm-hmm. Uh, accept it and believe it as true. And sometimes we don't believe it as true, again, because we're not practicing So they might just need to figure out, well, what is the skill set that I need to get more confident in? Because they may not know what it is. So Mm -hmm. I may, I may be a, I may be good at something, but the behavior is not coming out because the skill set has not been past a level one, like a level one jump roper. And so I look at that as that, well, that's not good enough. Like that's not good enough to be out here. So I I hear that a lot with like people that speak, right? Uh, People that are leaders that are afraid to speak in, in front of large groups, even though they actually have to command <laughs> a group or a department or a company or whoever they work for, they can do it in some areas, but it's just something about speaking to the people that they actually um, employ that can kind of have them shaking in their boots. And mm-hmm. so it's something about, it's like, well, you know, you know how to be powerful. You make decisions, like you run in right. this company, you run in this department, like you made pitches, you made presentations. So why is this, hard for you but maybe they feel like they're level one because they've seen other people kill it and so it's like well just do what you need to do whether it's behind doors or not to practice the skill set that you feel uncomfortable with because whatever that nuance is that's that's the gap between them feeling confident in that space and like further making the belief that they are good enough concrete in their minds otherwise their mind is going to be playing tricks on them because that's what our mind does it's designed that way Mhm mhm. Now I know you off you also work with organizations in addition to individuals. Yeah. You work with organizations around um their company culture. How how can leaders in organizations effectively communicate the importance of this uh whole person care and self-care to their teams? and create a culture that values well-being without compromising productivity because I mean we have people some people who get it Mm-hmm. They don't know how to make sure that's a priority in their own workplace, whether they own their own business or, you know, working a nine to five. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. And I think I just talked to two other people about this this week is that 
you have to have an organization that is really secure um, in their mission of what they plan on doing outside of the everyday, you know, pushing paper, counting coins, right? Like the everyday work has to be connected to an ultimate why or mission. And everybody's mission should be something that is bigger than themselves and know that you need people to help that mission come to fruition, right? You cannot have a company with this huge huge mission and vision without human capital. And if you need human capital for this big mission vision to come to fruition, then you actually need to care about people. Like there's just no around it. It's if you want to retain people, if you really truly are feet in the ground about something that you created to be a beacon in the world, whatever your product or service is, then you have to at some point care about people because those are the only ones that are going to get you to do it unless you're going to just hire all robots. But even then, if a robot breaks down, you need a person to take care of it. Like people are always going to be there, whether they're on the front end or the back end, (laughs) whether they're the customer or the internal customer, you know, like you're going to deal with people. And so being able to kind of turn yourself off and reconnect to the people that are actually helping to uh, pursue the thing that you already, you created this business to do, like that's going to be imperative for your, for your success. And so Mm -hmm. I think people being reconnected as visionaries to their mission and remembering that the only reason things happen is people. And so it's like, you can't, as leaders of organizations, you can't get around um, not being able to inspire those that you work with to be yeah. just as excited and grounded about the mission, but they can't be head head down working the whole time. Like you have to honor that people are giving a lot of their life 40 hours a week <laughs> or whatever, you know, they're set up to driving the mission of something you created, or if you didn't create it, you're now leading. And so you have to be able to pour back into their lives. It's just, it's just the way the cycle is set up, <laughs> right? To get that reciprocity, you need to give back to the people that are helping to make things happen. Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. And um, and speaking of, you know, pouring pouring in, I know that you're the co-founder of a dance company yeah. and value <laughs> creativity. Um, I'm curious, how how long has dance been a part of your life and how do you incorporate creativity into your own self-care practices? Oh, I love that. Um, so I've been dancing my whole, my whole little life. Um, <laughs> like uh, back in the day, uh, boys and girls clubs had dances. Me and my friends used to go, we used to get matching outfits <laughs> and go uh, dance at the boys and girls club parties in the summers. I, I did girl <laughs> team in high school. Okay. Um, and then I went to college at Hampton University. And so I danced um, at the liturgical dance group that we started on campus. Um, And then when I graduated from there, me and two friends started the dance company and we'll be 20 years old next year. Wow. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. And so um, it's always been a part, whether I did it at school, at church, in this company. Um, I've also had the opportunity to uh, lay choreography for some uh, some plays and musical uh, opportunities in the city of Milwaukee um, and on college students for different um, community performances. Uh, Like I did some work with a dance company that's at uh, University of Delaware. And so being able to do, you know, work like that and work with the Milwaukee Repertory Theater 
um, and lay choreography there for a few things. And in addition to the things that, that I've done with my dance company, um, it's been something that I always enjoy doing. I would love to continue to do it throughout my life, whether it is teaching master classes here and there, doing you know choreography for some uh, companies at large, or being able to just go back to my own company <laughs> and lay things. <laughs> um, I love taking class. I pictured myself being you know, retired and doing pre-ballet or African dance for little kids. I would love oh, wow. to do that. Or for me, um, I actually went back to school for dance when I was in my late 20s. So I didn't go to formal dance school. You know, like right. I went to a high school that had dance classes, but it wasn't mm -hmm. an arts high school. Um, and so I went back to school to get my second BA in dance in my late 20s. I I went to school for business uh, prior to and got my master's in business. We started the mm -hmm. dance company, quit my job after the first five years of graduating and went back to school full time for dance. And wow. so I really have a heart for um, women that uh, want to learn dance later on in life. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I, I love being able to teach or help people feel confident in moving. I mean, it really does to me go really well with the work that I do with uh, leaders, women confidence because you got to get out of your head you know mm -hmm. and dance helps you get out of your head I have a whole TED talk on better your leadership through dancing yes <laughs> and, so, uh, and that is one of the reasons why because I do believe that the more um kind of like what we were talking about earlier like imposter syndrome all the things a lot of it is getting out of our head right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the only way to get things out of our head is to get it out of our body because mm -hmm. um there's a book called the body keeps score yes uh, have you read this book it's so good I, I, I'm the in the middle of, in the middle of, and I'll, and I'll yes. add that to the show notes. Yes, yes, the body keeps score. And so, and it's true, our body remembers experiences, it holds traumas, but it also holds positive things too, right? The body just remembers. And so like when we are afraid of doing a thing, um, even if we're not actually in that space anymore, our body will remember because our thoughts remember, right? And so getting out of our head, creating new and uh, exciting and positive experiences with our body help us rewire ourselves. And so the more that we can do that, the the other things that we may be afraid of attacking um, actually become easier because we're moving our bodies. That's why people encourage you to exercise and move and all that because it does help with an overall well-being, but it, it helps you from a granular perspective, really move your, move your life forward. Yes. Um, it does because it teaches your body things that it teaches you in other areas. So if you are moving and pushing yourself, you can push yourself to do other things that you're afraid of. <laughs> you know, it's oh. like, I just love how the body teaches us. So anyway, I do love dance. So I have a picture in my kitchen that says, uh, life is too short, dance in the kitchen. Oh. So like every, sometimes when I'm in the kitchen, I'll just start breaking out for no reason. <laughs> listen, listen, you, you, you and me both, you and me both. I, I am known that. for just having random dance parties. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta do it. It's so much fun. Uh, I don't know how people don't like you don't even really know I have to know how no if you don't know how I might laugh but it's okay it's all in fun like because I don't know how to sing and I go to karaoke right it's all it's, yeah, it's enjoying the moment right yes exactly exactly now tell me a little bit so you you said so you went to school for business and mm -hmm. then went back again to do dance that's quite a that's quite a shift were yeah, you scared yeah. what what was that process like for you? Yeah, that is so interesting. I, yeah, I have an eclectic situation there. Um, so I went, I, when I was, when I started the dance company with my two friends, we were taking classes, you know, we were, you know, getting instruction. 
And I just have always thought about going back for it. And I'm like, okay, there's an opportunity here. It was a two-year BA program that I could do because I already had a BA and an Mm -hmm. MBA. Mm -hmm. So all I had to do was two years. And I'm like, well, you know, it's never going to be a good time, right? You know, like it's never a good time to go. I don't, and that was an in-state school. So I went to Hampton University for my master's in business and my undergrad in business, but I came back home. Uh, to my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I went at University of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to uh, University of Milwaukee, that is, uh, for a dance in the second, uh, for a second BA program. And the second BA program, to me, it was a no-brainer. It yeah. was like, okay, two years, um, I'm going back full-time. So, I mean, scary in a couple senses. One, like, I started doing contract work. I had to start doing contract work, part-time jobs. Our dance company allowed me to take some contracts because we did contracts with schools, churches, boys and girls clubs to teach and to be uh, a guest artist in a lot of places. So that helped me to like pay bills. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I probably like a year after, um, like my car note was paid off. Um, and so that helped out a lot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I have my car note. And then being able to have a very uh, a very generous um, opportunity to live in a place where I did not pay very much in rent, mm. and so with that happening, my my monthly expenses were super low. Yeah, super low, and so that helped because I I wasn't working a whole lot. Um, what I will say is that on the back end. I always knew that I was going to go back into the workforce and continue to work for my dance company. I didn't really have a lot of intention at the time to just be full-time in dance in the dance world. Right. I a desire for both. Um, so I did some like college advising. I was like uh, a manager of a financial literacy organization where I worked with financial institutions to uh, recruit volunteers to do work in high school. So I did a lot of booking uh, high schools to uh, incorporate this financial literacy curriculum and was training, you know, volunteers to go in and do it. So I did that. So I had a lot of different jobs while also running um, our dance company uh, part time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, um, you know, decided to jump ship from full time again and do contract work and work mm-hmm. with my dance company at the same time. So I did that for many years before I'm in, in the space that I am now where I'm working full time and I'm doing the work uh, for my own coaching and speaking business. <laughs> so yeah. it's been a lot of jump, but I've been always open to it. You know, I think being okay with your financial situation is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you are, if you are like struggling with debt, personal debt, um, and you don't have your finances in a, a good place, it can't, it can be daunting to do all of that. Like, because mm-hmm. of that, um, not having any dependents has been helpful. Um, you know, like if I had to, uh, care for small children and things like that, like I probably would have made less risky decisions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I may have went back to school, but I probably would have been taking a class for like one or twice a semester. (laughs) It would have just looked different. So I think, you know, given people's situation, they need to decide what is going to work best for them. But I will say finances always help. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it absolutely is. I mean, I tell people, you know, the concept of joyfully black is all about what keeps us in the black as a person, like the financial term staying in the black. So what do we want to incorporate in our in our lives? And it sounds like having dance, you know, has, you know, incorporating dance and creativity has just been something that has really Mm -hmm. 
and has really shown into other areas of your life. Yeah, yeah, it has. And it's, it's always been a beacon for me. Um, I love movement. I've always been a kinesthetic kid. I was like that kid that didn't want to sit down, walk <laughs> around, all, the, all around. Every time I'm like at home walking around, just being a mover. Yeah. Um, so it has always been an outlet for me um, and just movement. Like I did sports in uh, high school and always was an active kid. But dance is it's just something that that creative, that music, you know, movement combination that's always been intriguing for me. And it's a it's a form of it's therapeutic, you know, it's therapeutic. For sure. And what I and also what I'm hearing in your story is that it did take some risk. Like, yes, you, there was some it's great that the financial situation was there, but there was still a, oh, yeah. a risk for sure. Yeah. It took me two years after getting my second bachelor's to find a regular full-time job because I had been, um, it was a recession at the time I had been in school, so I hadn't been working full-time. So I had to take a lot of like part-time gigs to make, to make everything, to make the math, math, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, finding a, a pretty good full-time gig while I was in Milwaukee was really uh, nice because um, it just kept me from having to go to so many different odd jobs and I could focus on my job and um, the work that I was doing with my dance company. And for me, I've always been that person that had a side hustle. Yeah. Very few times have I jumped ship and gone contract. I've done it multiple times over my life, uh, but I've always been accustomed to having a full-time job and doing what I do uh, on the side. Um, it's been enjoyable for me because I'm multifaceted. So it just yes. keeps me from being bored too. Yes. It's just like, oh, I like doing this and I like doing this. So it's like, oh, when I want to, you know, be a boss I'm at work and I'm speaking and I'm coaching at work or I'm training people at work or, you know, doing all the, the fancy things. And then you know, on my side, you know, the side situation with the dance company, I'm going to a school to teach dance or I'm teaching yeah. the kids dance or taking the kids on a retreat or mentoring the young ladies or that are in our um, our adult performance company or I'm going to perform somewhere. So it's cool to be able to do all those different things um, because it just it keeps life interesting and it helps you to um it definitely helps me step outside of my box. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It helps you, because it's like if I could do this. I could do that. I, I again, I I definitely believe body work uh-huh. always helps you see how you can do things. I admire people that lift weights. Mm. It really can teach you some stuff. You know what I mean? Like if you could take this thirty look thirty pounds for me, right? Pound bar <laughs> and living over here. What else can you do? Right? It's almost like this mental game you play mm-hmm. when you do things mm-hmm. with your body. Um, and so I think it's like a great way to like release stress be able to connect to the other areas of your life that you can move forward with. Um, and yeah, just give you some positive, positive vibes for sure. Yeah, for sure. Get those endorphins flowing. Yeah. That, that joy, the joy that we need, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's clear that you are definitely a multi-passionate person, which I can strongly relate to. <laughs> and, and I know that a few of your your top strengths, uh, like strength finders, which I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of, oh, are being futuristic, yeah, yeah, positivity, ideation, individualization, and activator. So I'm curious, how have these strengths um, helped you navigate your own mental wellness and self care journey? Oh, I love that. So um, strength finders is my thing, and I love coaching people in strength finders. Uh, so it's it's really helped me because 
as you know, Strength Finders, it's four different themes that all of them fall under. So it's strategic, relationship building, influencer, execution. Mm -hmm. So I realized I have none in execution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> However, I've managed to execute a lot. Right. <laughs> And so it has shown me that even though some things are not your default, that you can do hard things, right? Absolutely. You can do hard things. And when the rubber hits the road, you do do the hard things. But it's okay. also shown me that the more that you can be aware of where you are, what, what, what your genius zone looks like, you can create systems to take care of the things that are not in your genius zone. So when I have the ability to have assistance, um, when I was running um, the dance company as the artistic slash executive director, I was able to have assistance in the areas that were not my genius zone, right? And so it's like, okay, this is where I shine. If I help in this area because I can do it, but I don't love doing that. It's not my genius zone to do that. And when it comes to execution, I do it from a place of need. If I do it 80% of the time, mm -hmm. it's going to make me burn out. Because it's not yeah. my genius zone. Now, it can be done, but it's not genius. So even now, it's helped me in some of the areas of my life realize like, hey, if there's stuff that are heavy, heavy execution, it has to be like maybe 20% of my life or I mean, my job. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, even as a solopreneur, you know, with my side situation and my, my day job, like I only look for jobs that really heavily allow me to be in my genius zone. If it's more than 20, maybe 30% of that execution, I'm going to be deucing out real quick. I'm like, I can't, I can't handle it. So being futuristic and ideation, they really land on strategy. So people really love me to help them come up with ideas. I love helping people brainstorm. I love getting you. If you saw the rest of my house right now, I have large sticky note paper on the walls. <laughs> With plans, because I love doing that. I love getting ideas out of people and helping them see the possibilities like that is my genius zone. And then I'm also really good at relationship and influencing, which is why I can lead people down anywhere. <laughs> like I'm the Pied Piper. I'm an I'm a, I'm a Pied Piper. I'm like, let's go. We doing this. Let's execute. We going. Nobody's going to ask me how. Yes. Like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And that's a gift, you know? Uh, I use it for good, though, only. <laughs> yes, clearly, the, the positive Pied Piper. I am the positive Pied Piper, yes. Um, but then when it comes to relationships, I really help people learn how to be empathetic because two of mine um, is in, in the relationships, which is individualization. Like, I really know how to, like, look at a person and um, let them be who they are and adjust myself to it. Like, I'm very adaptable and give a lot of benefit of the doubt because I truly enjoy understanding people. So I really help leaders understand their teams well, mm -hmm. because I can see how a person may have acted the way they acted or responded in the way they responded. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, I help them a lot, really figure out how they can be more empathetic and really see where someone else um, is coming from. So I feel like mm -hmm. that, you know, that is a part and then positivity I mean, that just kind of shines in general, like the light of a room. I keep people, you know, excited and all of that about life. So and I feel like it's worked. And, and how do those and how do those help you specifically like navigate, making sure that, that you're feeling whole and staying with your cup filled? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
because strength finders is awesome, it gave me a lot of tips on how I can stay in those spaces. And so from like a mental wellness, like for futuristic and ideation, um, strength finders, when I did it years ago, uh, suggested that I journal more. And I've always been a journaler. And so journaling my ideas, journaling my thoughts, it gets it out of my head and then it keeps me from feeling anxious that I got to do all the ideas that come to my head because Mm -hmm. as a strong strategy person, like you can feel like all your ideas have to happen. Like you have this high vision of all things and it's like every day I wake up, like I got to rule the world. It's like, no, you don't. You actually only have like three things to do today. But journaling helps, like giving myself rule the world time. Like, okay, Dad, you got rule the world time. Start journaling, get it out your head so you can actually focus on today. Uh Um, That's helpful. And then I think when it comes to activator, it's giving myself permission to know what I need to activate on. So activator is that influencer one. So I don't have to rah, rah, get something done right away, right now, just because, you know, like I have this great idea. Um, so the, at the ID ideation part of me and the activator part of me wants to come up with a whole bunch of stuff and do it right now. And I'm like, right. this. Uh, and so the, the, I think the journaling overall really has helped because it keeps me at bay, mm-hmm. um, with taking care of myself with feeling like I have to do everything right away and to just be overwhelmed by the bigness. Um, uh-huh. the other thing that strength finders did was say that it's really important for me as uh, a strategy person and not having a lot of execution to keep someone that has execution close to me yeah, to jot ideas off of. So like one of my closest friends, um, she has heavy execution. She's actually um, strategic and has some execution, which is helpful. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. I love it. So because of that, she keep me like focused. like so it it even made the suggestion like you should talk to people that have you know they have like 10 different strengths that you know would keep you kind of like at bay and I was like okay that's got to be my go-to person when I need to run past an idea so I Mm -hmm. don't go doing like a thousand things um so I think that the for those reasons alone the journaling talking to someone that really Mm -hmm. helps me a lot yeah and it sounds like you also give yourself space to to appreciate all the ideas that come to you, but also yeah. giving yourself that space to say, it'll happen, but it doesn't have to happen right now. Exactly. And that took time. <laughs> that took time. I felt like I had to rule the world before I was 25 at one point. <laughs> so what shifted for you that made you be like, girl, it's okay. Right. I think it was more of just the, the reality that you can't duplicate yourself. Mm. You know, and I was putting way too much pressure on myself to have a life set the way that I had in my mind by a certain age. And I think mm. that we just do ourselves a great disservice doing that instead of just taking the steps to do whatever it is that you feel, you know, um, compelled to do in these moments versus mm-hmm. putting that age on it or a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. And I am big about creating boundaries so that you're not procrastinating things, okay. um, you know, which is different uh, than, putting the pressure on yourself to be a millionaire in 30 days. Like that's not realistic. It's, and that's actually how I came up with the name of my LLC, which is destination life. You know, it's like, cause life is really about the journey, right. Mm -hmm. And not the destination. The destination really is about life and living Mm -hmm. life and enjoying Mm -hmm. life. And so I created that because I wanted to make sure that as we are pursuing, you know, these high achieving things and wanting to do passion projects and wanting to pursue all things in the world, 
that we're actually enjoying life. We're enjoying yes. life as we're living it and creating amazing things in it. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. And um, I know we mentioned a, a few uh, books and resources. I know your TED Talk, but you definitely got to give me the link so I can I share do. the show notes. And um, and in the book we referenced, The Body Keep Score. Yeah, Are there Body any Keep other score. books or resources that you would recommend to my audience and, and why? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, it would be bad if I didn't mention my own book. Uh, of course. Get Your Life Today. Get Your Life Today because you need to get your life. Uh, get Your Life Today, Seven Success Hacks for Life, Leadership, and Business. Um, and the reason that I would say use that book, regardless of it being my own, um, is that I really love helping people create the biggest version of themselves. And that's like mm. the first chapter. Like, what is the biggest version of yourself? Mm-hmm. And you taking time at the end of every chapter to really articulate on paper, how does this biggest version of me help me in my personal life? How does it help me in my leadership? And how does it help me in my business? So mm-hmm. that you can really compartmentalize how you need to grow in all of those areas and what it looks like in each of those areas. Um, so I would definitely say that. And then with my success hack, it really just helps you have something to kind of pull out of your uh, toolbox when you're having some issue along the way of your journey. And so I talk about, you know, your mind might be playing tricks on you. How do you get your mind real back in? How do you make sure that you make decisions because confidence doesn't just come, confidence comes when you decide. So how do you make decisions? So some of those things would be helpful. Uh, one of my other favorite books is Four Hour Work Week. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Life changing. Life changing. I am actually re-listening to Four Hour Work Week right now. Now, Tim Ferriss has a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but yes. what I like the most about it, it does keep the main thing, the main thing about creating boundaries around your time, uh, whether you're a full-time employee or an entrepreneur, and making sure that you are eliminating things that are not important. So it's that essentialism piece, and essentialism is a good book too, but yes. <laughs> that essentialism piece of eliminating what's most important in automation. I feel like four-hour work week really just helped me just see, even though it's outdated in some of the tools because it's an older book, um, but it does help remind you of like, okay, what things can I automate in my life, not just at work, but just in my life so I can spend more time living life. And so that's what I appreciate about four-hour work week. Um, And then Science of Being Rich. Science of Being Rich by Wallace Waddles. So this is one of those uh-huh. old school books, kind of like a Napoleon Hill situation, right? Right. Uh, so it's one of those old school books. What I love about the science of being rich is that in the science of uh, being rich, it talks about how it's important for us to believe that we are rich. And mm-hmm. so it's really a book about belief in that we are rich and creating the vision and connecting yourself to the vision so much so that you manifest it, right? And so that's what I really enjoy about the science of being rich uh, because it helps you really think about like, what is the vision of how I see myself becoming, you know, wealthy and rich and how do I connect with that on a regular basis so that I can start seeing it happen. Um, And it's funny too, he talks about like, if you want to do anything great in the world, get rich. It's like- Uh you're right. And uh, it talks about just really principles. You can't get the thing you want focused on the opposite. Mm. And so it talks about you can't get well focused on sickness. You Mm -hmm. can't get rich focused on poverty. You have to focus on the thing that you desire. 
Right. And so it's really about that mindset, you know, and also just, um, you know, from a, a, a energetic perspective, like walking out your life, knowing that you have the thing you want. So it's a good book. I, I've listened to it multiple times. It talks about gratitude, you know, just all the things. So really good book. I would listen to that on repeat. Um, and there's, uh, I listen to The Alchemist on repeat too. Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. once a year. Yeah. Um, it just has good nuggets. <laughs> it does. It it really does. Because it, it is about that mindset, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're a person who is on a self-care journey or yes. realizing that you need to take more time for mental wellness mm-hmm. or other things that are going to, that need to be higher priorities in order to have yes. the sort of life that one wants for themselves. It really right. does start with that mindset and practicing those habits, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. giving, and allowing, yeah. giving yourself permission to practice those those habits that are going to really put you in a position where you where you want to be whether you know whether it's career or just with your health or your mental health or your finances mm-hmm. whatever aspect relationships mm-hmm. that you may have with other people yes start with that mindset for sure all the things all the things and I, I mean I have plenty of books so I can go on and on but oh. those are like no really like I've been a nerd I was in the book club and when I was 13 yes I'm so here I'm for like, Oh, good. We been throwing your own Like, yes, I love it. What about Roll Up Under Here by Cry? Do you remember oh, that? Li- listen, oh. listen, this is going to turn into a Black Girl Reads podcast, yeah. We keep I going. I love that whole series. But anyway, yeah, so I have a lot of books that I love. But those are at least the ones that I'm on right now. And then yes. um, actually one that I'm reading now, um, what is his name? Alex Hermosi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a marketing book. Um, okay. But it's um, hundred million dollar offers because he's coming up. He's coming out with a book called a hundred million dollar leads. Uh-huh. Um, that one was really good. Like for people that are in the service industry, creating offers. So I've been like re-listening to that. And then my last one for real untethered soul. That's a good uh-huh. book too by Michael Singer. So mm-hmm. one of my friends and dang and positive intelligence. So anyway, <laughs> Uh, Untethered Soul is a really good one. Um, because that one is about regulating yourself and how your mind is always chatting. So that's a good mm. book really around quieting. He calls it your inner roommate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your inner roommate does always talking, talking you into stuff, talking you out of stuff. Like mm-hmm. you need to untether your soul from all of that. <laughs> like something that mm. we're in life. So it's actually a really good book. I do reread it once a year at least. Um, and then the the other one that I was just mentioning was uh, positive intelligence. So I'm also a positive intelligence coach. And positive Ooh. intelligence uh, talks about how uh, our mind has a judge. You know, it's based in neuroscience um, and it's talking about, you know, the judge and how our mind um, has a judge. And it usually has accomplices uh, that have developed strategies on how we deal with life, how we find our worth, how yeah. we stay safe. And those are our self-sabotaging tendencies and they're called saboteurs. Mm. Um, and so. We kind of develop using those saboteurs over the course of our life. They're not who we are. Uh, who we are is sage. And so we talk about sage power. And we talk okay. about that in the book and it's saboteur, uh, the saboteur and the judge, which you kind of battle with <laughs> all yeah. the time. And so the, the premise of the book is to help you lock into your sage power more so that you are not using these strategies that really are driven by negative emotions so it's really good 
Oh, good. So, no, you I, gave us you've gave us uh, some great books to add to our bookshelves, or at least get from our, from our local libraries. Because I'm all yes. about our public library system. Oh, that's yes. Awesome. Thank you. Now, before we go, there's a question that I ask all of my guests, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorite quotes by Jean Bolin, and it says, "When you discover something that nourishes your soul and brings you joy, care enough about yourself that you make room for it in your life." So I have to ask, what nourishes your soul so much that you absolutely create space for it? Oh, that is so good. Um, I would say worship. So I am a woman of faith. So I make I make room for worship. I can be in the car. I will listen to music if I go on a walk or a run, um, which I haven't been running lately. But the point is, I make room for it and I try to combine it, whether it's with dance whether it's with walking, I try to combine it with movement as much as possible. Uh, but if not, just if I'm if I'm just sitting quiet, just to quiet myself and connect with God, like that is what I make space for, for sure. Oh, yeah, no, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so where can listeners find you online? Uh, they can find me anywhere, uh, but mostly where I spend a lot of my time is LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Um, so I'm Desiree Cocroft. MBA on LinkedIn. Um, and then I'm also on IG as Desiree Cocroft, Facebook on Desiree Cocroft. And I do have a YouTube channel, Desiree Cocroft, okay. if you didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Desiree, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Oh, yeah. Likewise, it's been a delight talking to you. All right. Thank you. Hey there, lovely listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Joyfully Black. I hope that you're enjoying our content as much as we love creating it for you. So if today's episode has resonated with you or you find it valuable, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. It ensures that you never miss an episode and helps us reach more listeners like you. So if you've got a friend who'd love what we're talking about today, don't keep it a secret. Sharing is caring after all. Send them a link and spread the word. And last but not least, we truly value your thoughts and feedback. Whether it's a topic you'd like us to cover or thoughts on today's discussion, drop a comment or send us a message on joyfullyblk.com or on Instagram. Your voice matters and it really helps shape the future of our show. Remember, this podcast grows and thrives because of listeners like you. So subscribe, share, and speak up. Until next time, stay in the black, y'all.